This is World Beyond War, a new podcast. Welcome. I'm really glad to be here on the World Beyond War podcast with Miles Megasife, who is an activist hip-hop artist. I met Miles in Washington, D.C., I think it was about a year and a half ago, at a No to NATO event where where you just showed up and I guess you were sort of an invited um, performer at, at our evening, but it was really great to have some, some hip hop at an activist event, at a peace event. This was mainly a group of um, peace organizations, Code Pink, World Beyond War, Veterans for Peace. And since then, I've, I've actually had you on my radar. I follow you on Instagram and I love your music. You're a great rapper and, um, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the praise, the kind words, um, the warm welcome, and uh, the community. Um, yeah. yeah, the tribe is uh, is peace activists, and so that's who I roll with. Uh, I remember very well that tour. Um, that was the kickoff to a uh, self built nationwide tour, and um, mm-hmm. Greta had booked me. World Beyond War had booked me for that uh, that event, and I ended up coming up early and spending the week with them and doing a week of action it was lovely so mm-hmm. yeah all power to the people <laughs> i think i think you were there the next day too a bunch of us walked across dc and kind of shut down a street for a few minutes and walked to the martin luther king memorial and extended our protest there so so tell me i described you as a activist hip-hop artist is that how you know who tell me who you are and how you got to be who you are I am um I would say I'm an artivist. I use my 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 art is my activism. And mm-hmm. uh, I also I'm a who am I? I learned how to rap when I was about 19 years old from my hip hop mentor who was in my same battalion in the Marine Corps. I was in 3rd mm-hmm. Battalion 8th Marines and I met this this young man, this, you know, we were kids. So I met this kid named IQ. And um, he taught me how to format my bars. I never knew how to put my poetry. I just wrote a big block of prose. And um, mm-hmm. he he taught me the science. And so I carried a lot of anger with me in those days. And I got the name Sife. And Sife was crushing mm-hmm. individuals, playing hard, a battle rapper. I would, I would use all sorts of... Um, worldly things to show how great I was. And mm-hmm. uh, I carried that with me out of the Marine Corps and a bitter person came of that. And um, after getting uh, locked up for the fifth time as a ex-Marine, um, as a former Marine, I, um, I realized I had to change who I was. And I started doing Tai Chi and soon after mm-hmm. yoga, and during this time, I um, started changing the things I rapped about. And it was it was just a process of becoming Mega Sife, like turning turning the name Sife into Mega Sife. It's an right. acronym that means the evolution of Sife. So, um, and Sife is, Sife is uh, you know, Mega Sife is, Sife is still here. And Mega Sife is the father. Sife is the Sife is the one who's still writing rhymes and and putting out music to to make our world better. You know, Mega Sife is the one 
um, making sure that that music is holistic and healthy and healing. Mm. So um, Mega Sife is a, a chef. I've been uh, a husband going on, uh, I don't even know, 18 years or something like that. We got married in 2003. Um, what's that, 17 years? Um, mm. It's just um, positivity and love, putting through trying to make music that reaches people where they're at right now, but on a different frequency. So um, the same sounds and maybe patterns that they think, you know, I can like trick them into it, trick them into thinking, you know, no fear now is, is that next club banger. And maybe it will be mm-hmm. the next club banger, you know? So um, it's really just about waking people up and getting people off of this, this, this capitalist mind state. So, yeah. Yep. Well, um, no fear now. That's your newest track. So let uh, let's let's actually play that. It's what we need, what we want. Love. I give love. I want love. I have love. Wash your hands. Get it right. Good hygiene can save your life. Keep your hands out your face, especially in a public place. Not least the last. Wear a mask. Take that class from Mega Sife. You can save a life. Take a doc's advice. Not lots of light. No police takes. With a yes and a no. Economies close over pathogens we can detect. The long incubation time of DNA faking make the chain look correct. When in fact you could be infected, impact your loved ones with that neglect. Let's face it, the president's basic. Unlike his offices, needs respect and
no fear now. You said a lot of real stuff there, especially about kind of siphon mega siphon having having uh, opposition within yourself so i wanted to ask you about the person who made a decision to join the marines who then became a peace activist now i know many people who followed this path because at world beyond war we work with veterans for peace a lot actually our president leah bulger is um part of veterans for peace so i know it's not just your story alone but how how do you how how did you transform from a Marine to a peace activist and what made you join the Marines and what, and what have you carried between the two? So, uh, in that order, what made me transform my son, um, Hmm. I kept my mouth shut when I got out the Marines for, for almost two, two decades. And then my son was born in 2012 and I'm, his stay at home, um, full-time provider, you know, my wife is the full-time worker and, um, raising him made me realize that I had some issues I had to deal with some personal anger issues and patience. Um, you know, a lot more self-reflection had to, had to, I had to do a lot more introspection to be a good parent. And, um, in realizing that I ended up writing code switching, uh, no, I ended up writing civil. I am sorry. And, um, the way it came, the way, the way the whole album came to be is what brings me to where I am now. Um, I was, I was totally silent about my experience in the Marine Corps and, uh, my trauma, uh, all through, all through my civilian life, like um, my civilian adult life, all through university, all through Morris Brown, then leaving Morris Brown, then living in Atlanta, doing the open mic scene, being homeless, um, you know, working in clubs, you know, rapping at a young age. And I went to university at at, um, at Georgia State and I met my wife. And um, ever since then, I've been you know, trying to improve as a human being, but, uh, you know, having a son and being, being, my father wasn't around when I was, Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) my life is like a story. My life is so much better than, than any fiction book. Um, when I was, when I was, when I was two, my father was locked up at Westchester um, State Facility, okay? Okay. And my mom used to drive, used to um, take a bus to visit him. When my son was two, I was living on Westchester State Prison Facility because on that same facility, there's also a hospital where my wife was a resident. My wife was a resident. I was living there raising my son and so you talk about full circle right Mm -hmm. at the same time i was trying to get to know my sister my father's daughter Mm -hmm. who i had grown up not knowing so just a whole a whole lot of emotions and then a year and a half later we moved to uh year and a half later we moved to um 
Kansas City and uh, or not even a year and a half later, half a year later, we moved to Kansas City and then Civil I Am. I wrote Civil I Am in 12 days. So mm. if, if you've listened to Civil I Am, then that album was written literally in 12 days. I broke night a few nights to do it. And um, the concept was there. I reached out to producers. I got beats. But when I started writing, I hadn't written a single lyric. I just had concepts for my tracks. And that doesn't even mean like line patterns, just concepts. And when I started mm -hmm. writing, it was done in 12 days. It was such an outpouring of emotion that I reached out to um, I re uh, my, my wife told me not to let this album go by the wayside because um, she doesn't care about she she thinks the music industry is full of shit which it is right so i don't know if i can yeah, curse yeah. but yeah you can <laughs> you know she's like she's like don't let this album die she's like find a group to partner with to help it grow mm -hmm. um and so i i did some research and i, I liked vfp and um uh ever since then i've been becoming more of an activist you know and using my music to do more activism wow, wow. First of all, I, I really relate as, as a father myself, becoming a father definitely gave my life, you know, the purpose. I, I was not a political activist before I was a father either. I would say when, when I look back at my youngest decades, I'm like, what, what was I thinking? I wasn't really thinking about the world <laughs> at all. Just wasn't thinking. And yeah, I think, you know, so also, so your, your wife is in the medical field. Yeah, she's a surgeon. Um, she's a pediatric wow. surgeon. She's a unicorn. Um, <laughs> awesome. I mean, so so really your whole family is devoted to helping. And I, I'm glad you're filling in some of the blanks because I, I did watch a lot of your excellent videos on YouTube. So I saw you got, you know, I did see you're from New York, at where I'm now. Um, I think you're a Yankees fan though, right? Based on your hat. Um, yeah, I probably would go with Yankees over Mets, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I saw you on the Brooklyn promenade. They're very close to where I am right now. But then I saw you were in KC, Kansas City. So I was wondering, so you've been all over. Mm -hmm. um, if I can ask you to, you know, stay back in, in, because this is a really interesting story. Why, what motivated you to join the Marines and what, what were you hoping to find and in what ways has it helped you? That's right. To go through that. So what motivated me to join the Marines was poverty. I was alone. I was a poverty enlisted, you know, um, my, I grew up, my mom was a single mom, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, working two jobs my whole life. Um, and I didn't make it into any universities after high school. We moved, we moved from, uh, New York to Atlanta when I was 16, I was a junior and senior in Atlanta. I finished my, my high school in Atlanta and, um, that was culture shock that led to really bad grades. Those really bad grades didn't do good for, um, yeah. universities. And there was recruiters in my ear. There was a recruiter in my ear, um, ever, basically ever since my junior year. And, um, wow. I, I, by I, way, if I can, if I can actually go back to one thing, I'm curious, what do you mean by culture shock? Um, Brooklyn, Brooklyn was, um, uh, Mm, a very diverse i was in brooklyn in 1980s you know i, I 1988 i started high school so mm -hmm. um brooklyn central brooklyn on ocean avenue between glenwood and farragut you know was very diverse mm -hmm. i went to midwood high school it was um right. 
predominantly black, but there was there were Asians, there were um, there were white kids, there were uh, you know saying there were people from the West Indies, there were you know people from South Asia. So, um, in Atlanta, in in Marietta, let me be precise, an outskirt mm-hmm. of Atlanta, I was one of six black kids in Damn. in my junior year. Um, and the senior year was a little bit better, but it was low. The percentages were abysmal. Um, and ever since then it's gotten, the, the county has, has, you know, melanated and browned. Um, but in those days it wasn't the case. And, um, my grade suffered. Uh, I attributed it to that because I was, I was a good student before, um, I graduated with a 1.79. That's like a D average. Yeah, you know? yeah. They, they pushed me out. Um, wow. Sounds yeah. like the system really failed you right there because you, in other words, if you had been, if you had a path to a university, you would not have chosen the Marines. No, by no means, by no means. Mm-hmm. And if my teachers had given me, you know, when I, when I got to, when I got to the school, because I came from New York, credits were taken away. So I didn't come in as a junior, which I should have come in. I came in as a as a sophomore. Yeah. So I, from from day one, I had to make up work, and um and then the work was totally different, and the teachers were not working with me. Um, mm-hmm. it was just it was not built in my favor, basically. Um, and so yeah, yeah I joined the Marine Corps. Uh, I scored high on my ASVAB score. I was I chose to be a mortar man and go to Hawaii. Um, what does as, that mean, mortar man? Uh, an O three forty one. My my MOS would have been uh, mortars, like uh, big guns. So you have okay. you know you have, uh, artillery, you know the mm-hmm. big, and then you have the mortar, which is a uh, a smaller version of of an of a of a of an of a howitzer. You know, a smaller gotcha. version of a big artillery rifle. Right. Right. Um, it looks like a bazooka, but you plant it on the ground and you shoot a big bullet out of it. The bullet, people think it's a rocket, but it's a bullet, right? I'm glad your ears survived. My ears did not survive. My left ear to this, I have tinnitus, um, but Damn. I don't have, yeah, I don't have VA anything because I got, I got kicked out. So I, um, uh, that's hard on a musician. It's hard on the musician, right? But yeah, somehow yeah. it works. So, I have like so, this little ringing. You chose the Marines, which is kind of like the the, the hardcore you know, the cream one. of the crop, right? The, yeah. Like the best of the best. So there must have been some some pride in you as well, some like patriotism or pride or right I, to I, to not go an easier path. Yeah, I went in. <laughs> I went in believing that it was the right thing to do. I I mm-hmm. had no no doubts in my mind that um being in the military was the right thing to do as a as an american mm-hmm. i didn't question it you know i wasn't raised with a political education so right. I, w- I was raised with a social education you know um i'm raising my children with both yeah. so my mom you know my mom raised me the way she did because of what she saw you know, she um she was an activist when she was young. She she used to go to Malcolm X rallies. She used to go to mm. she she grew up in Spanish Harlem, but 
um, and she went to Bard uh, University. You know what I'm saying? Bard College in upstate awesome. New York. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But then, you know, she also lived through the assassination of uh, Fred Hampton. She lived through the assassination of Malcolm X, the assassination of Dr. King, you know. So what and did she think about you joining the Marines? She cried. She cried the day mm-hmm. I left. She cried the day I left. But she mm-hmm. also there was nothing. I mean, I was working at KFC, right. at, you know, what I'm saying in high school. Yeah. And there was no there was not going to be anything else. You know what I'm saying? In 1992, a, a, a young, a black kid, a, gradu- a, a New Yorker, no less, living in the outskirts of Atlanta, um, sounding like an uppity nigga. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. Like, is not going to get a job. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to get, nobody was going to hire me um, right. for anything upwardly mobile or you know, I would have been at best a driver for, you know what I'm saying? Like a great job, which is a great job. Don't get me wrong, but I got, I had bigger ambitions. You know what I'm saying? I I have ambition tatted on my neck, you know, like everybody deserves a chance to figure out what they're supposed to be in the world. And you you. were trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I thought it would be the right thing to do, you know? So, so by the way, I did. I saw some of your uh, videos and heard some of your music about um, about your time in Okinawa. And I think you actually said you talked about how when you were in boot camp, um, you, I think you said you were eighteen. Actually, I wrote that in this lyric of yours: "A hard-headed jarhead, you couldn't tell me nothing." Is that you? That's your oh, self-portrait. <laughs> most definitely. That's probably uh, still me in a lot of ways. You know, I have to. Yeah. Making my way in life, I won't master my moves for you. This thing's I'm supposed to leave. We always just strife, I just clash with the rules and fuse. I said, these are supposed to be a hard-headed jarhead. You couldn't tell me nothing. I was taught to kill, and I was always hunting off-season or on, looking for the targets. Sold weed, shoplifted, robbed the corner markets. Not niggas out and treated women like. A cold mother with a cold full of glitches. This is what I can say the core created. A time when many are sold were very aggravated. To have seen combat, I would have been elated. But a chance would happen. Good fortune, I never made it. Yes, I was dedicated to my God and country. Salute the flag, didn't get drunk in the street. I was exemplary, decorated and trained well. From 500 yards with no scope, send a fool to hell. That's right or left-handed, but I was disbanded. Not to be an abandoned, but for smoking cannabis. These are supposed to be It don't matter what I choose to do. Making my way in life, I won't last on my moves for you. Now it seems I'm supposed to leave. I just clash with you fools and fuse. When you got there, how was it not what you expected? So when you when you first left Atlanta, before I even left Atlanta, let me backtrack. My buddy got separated the day we were supposed to leave. Um, the our recruiter weighed us and said, "You are a pound overweight. You have to lose this pound." The bus leaves in two hours, so we're gonna send, um, we're gonna send Miles, and you can catch up tomorrow. There'll be another bus tomorrow. 
What? What yeah, the fuck? Exactly. You'll run off the weight. So they're just fucking with you. That's just they're just trying to right? Yeah. Yeah, that that that's just fucking with us. That's just breaking yeah. up buddies because they get they get perks for breaking up buddies. They turn they wow. the whole the whole time you're in the recruitment process, you're on this buddy program, you train together, you work out together. That's my buddy. You have less likelihood of making it through boot camp on a buddy program. And also, um, you have less likelihood of making it through boot camp broken because they want to break you. So if you have a buddy, if you go in with a buddy, you have some um, piece of home with with you through this torture. So what happens when you get off that bus in Paris Island is shock doctrine uh, 101. You from from the first moment, it is fear instilled in your heart. Um, people, some people are pissing themselves already. You go into the receiving building, you dump your gear. Um, you don't see it again. You're told to bring this whole suitcase of stuff so you can, you know, keep, you'll keep it with right. you. You strip. You're, wow. you're, like you're from from step one. It's like you're in prison because you bring your stuff in, you drop it off, you put your name on it, you strip, you take that off, you put your name tag on it, then you're fitted for uniforms. So from step one, you you everything you had is gone. Yeah. Now, yeah, I bet some people really like that. I bet some people. I mean, I'm talking people at your age then, like 18-year-olds. I bet they're, they're, they're ready for that because they want, they need something like that. But I'm guessing that you, you had an attitude and an independence that didn't make you want to conform to that, right? Yeah, well, I conformed for boot camp. I needed that. I, I tell okay. you, yeah, I, I, um, boot camp was the beginning of... Um, it wasn't my awakening. My awakening was the, it began in boot camp, but it really happened in Cuba. In boot camp, I kind of needed what they gave me. It gave uh-huh. me a that I still carry to this day. Um, nobody needs it. Let me, I, 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 I felt like I did, you know what I'm saying? I excelled yeah. in boot camp. I also had a growth spurt. I grew from five foot 11, 160 pounds to, Six foot three, two hundred, uh, one ninety pound, one ninety five pound. So, so real I, transformation. Yeah, yeah, I gained thirty five pounds and a few inches. And so, for me, boot camp was they didn't mess with me physically because I was growing quick. Hmm. You know, yeah. um, but they messed with me psychologically. Like my heavy was, uh, my heavy was a dark skinned Jamaican dude, and he used to hate on me for my color and and hmm. um, just not not hate on me, but he would just tear into me you know he would just treat me like crap (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's by going through things that are really difficult and scary and intimidating that we prove how strong we are so i i definitely understand that it's like you know you know i wonder how i would have lasted through it it would not have gone easy that's for sure (laughs) but um so tell me what when you when you got to cuba okinawa what did you experience or what did you observe there? When I got to Cuba, I saw the worst um, classism, racism. I saw 
before it was an internment camp, or I don't know if it still does, uh, still operates the same way it did um, when I was there, but we accepted Cuban refugees and Haitian refugees, right? right? You know, the Haitian refugees had to, the Haitian refugees had to make it across the, the, the ocean. You know, Cuba is not connected to Haiti. Cuba is connected to the Republic, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's, I don't know how many miles it is, but they have to make it across the ocean. They make it on handmade rafts. And these Haitian refugees are fleeing economic, um, like, uh, I'm at a loss for the word, but, you know, they're, they're, they're fleeing blight because of American, because of Western capitalism and Western imperialism. And when they get, wow. when they get to Cuba, they are kept in subhumane living conditions uh, wooden wooden shacks with dirt floors these are haitians leaving haiti trying to make it to the u.s and when they arrive when when haitians make it to the to cuba they were kept in quarters like that they came for refuge so do you know what yeah guantanamo bay is on the south southern side of cuba it's around around the Bay of Guantanamo. We've got two sides on the island. You got leeward side and windward side. Um, around the base is the minefield, an active one mile mine, one mile wide minefield between the base and between the nearest Cuban city. Um, there's a ten foot fence with barbed wire, razor wire along the top of this fence so after after any and the minefield is still active today supposedly to protect what the base from invasion by by the cuban army right the the town that town that town that's across the minefield still has workers coming to the u.s base through a gated walkway every single day Workers walk a mile back and forth, and I'm laughing because otherwise you cry, right? Between their city and Guantanamo Bay, so they can work menial jobs at the PX and and Burger King and Taco Bell, so that these GIs can have their semblance of America, no matter where they are. And um, that's when I saw this whole thing as. Uh, charade as a as just wrong i just something i i I didn't know imperialism at the time i didn't know i didn't i didn't question capitalism i didn't know about anything but i knew that it was wrong i knew that um i knew that families who try to flee cuba make it through that minefield at night and and some make it and some don't and some make it in pieces and i used to be one of the people going out to respond to them making it to that and yeah you work a week when you're bait when you're stationed in cuba you work a week on react duty and you work a week on guard duty when you're on guard duty you're either in the tower, you're on, 
You're on patrol, meaning um, if somebody comes through, if a tower says we have a breach on gate section 10, you drive out to gate section 10 with your with your squad. And if the breach is a family, which it usually is, you get a few families a week trying to come through. You can't do anything to that family until they make it through. If they make it through the fence, then you give them refuge, safe refuge. Right. You take them back. Safe refuge after interrogation, of course, because they infiltrators, even though they just walk through a fucking minefield. So you. um, I, I have seen babies hanging in that wire. And I carry that image with me. I have seen families cry, crawl under and over that fence in all their pieces. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's when I was like, this is not for me. This is not, this is not we're not helping anybody. You know, the, there's no, we're not doing any good. Um, and so... But I didn't speak out. I went on to uh, I left Cuba, uh, came back to Jacksonville, North Carolina, was a fucking nut, um, sold hella weed in the Marine Corps. My, my homies sold guns. We had people in the platoon who sold cocaine. Um, every single you can be assured that every single person in the military i don't know if it's still like this today i imagine it is is doing something else on the side because they barely make enough money to live so until they've made until they've made enough rank until they've made enough rank you're you're it's it's you're not living well you know you go in for this dream of of economic freedom but it's not it's not at all. And so nobody gives you an economic education. You get in there and you start buying over your head. You buy a car with a payment. You buy a bunch of jewelry with payments on it. You get you either get an off base apartment, which you don't need because you have free barracks housing, but you want to look like a baller. So you get a base housing before you know it, you're in debt over your head. People end up staying in to pay off debt that they incurred in there. So, um, came home, well, lived in Jacksonville, um, and, um, just start, just embraced the, the narcissistic, uh, criminality of being, uh, untouchable because I'd speed and cops would always let me go because I'd show them my military ID. Uh, my car would never get searched. So... Um, left uh, the States for a year to Okinawa. And I had heard stories about Okinawa. You know what I'm saying? GI stories. And so I went there being among the, among the worst of them. You know, the worst I did was fight. But in hindsight, so many of us were fighting on that island. <sighs> You know, it allowed it allowed everything else to happen. And I was there. I was there when that 12-year-old girl got raped by two Marines who were stationed on my base. I didn't know them, but they were stationed on my base. And it was like, 
You lived through that whole ordeal because that was that was when people like me here here in the USA would first heard of Okinawa. Is that kind of made the news? And yeah, I was there through the whole thing. I was living through it, and I'll tell you, I was already woke. I already knew I was wrong. You know what I'm saying? I already knew I was wrong, and I still did it. So. I want to move forward to what's going on now because there's no less crazy shit going on right now. Um, as we're, I'm, we're recording this in June 2020, George Floyd was murdered about three weeks ago. We're still having protests every day in the streets. So I want to know how you're processing what's going on in this world, in this country today. I am, uh, I believe this is day 21 of protests. There are too many murdered there have been so many murdered since George mm-hmm. Floyd. Um, Including in Georgia. This is a time when I am happy to be alive. This is a time when I'm happy to... Um, I'm happy that so many people have cell phones. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this, is the, this is the best time that I've ever seen in my life. Wow. You know, really? When, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's by a all big means. statement. It's a very big all, statement. Because because it's for three weeks now, people have been holding space and they have been supported by people who aren't able to. Like I'm not able to go hold space as a as a father of two kids. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um if if it was just me and my wife. I would be right now, I'd be in Seattle or I'd be in Minneapolis. I'd be, you know what I'm saying? I tell yeah. you, I'd be on the front lines. Um, but I'm not going to take my children there because I don't need, you know what I'm saying? Like taking yeah. my children there is unnecessary. And so. Well, you're also doing what you're doing through your music. I mean, you released a track with Black Lives Matter Plaza uh, on it. It's the first time I saw that in a music video. So, you know, that's how you're. Yeah. Yeah. In the week, in the week that, in the week that the protest broke out, I was, um, my son had asked me the week prior, my son had asked me to write a song about, um, COVID and what we needed to do to stay safe, mm-hmm. what we needed to know. That was that and song. So that was that, that's the song. That's No yeah. Fear Now. So I'm writing mm-hmm. No Fear Now. And then George Floyd is murdered. And, um, the Black Lives Matter protests erupt across the country and i finished the song um immediately like i stayed up for a few nights that week finished the song finished the video the footage in that video is from the first week's worth of protests basically Mm -hmm. um the peaceful some peaceful images because they were peaceful images going viral while the protesters were being uh, tagged as violent and you know labeled they were being mislabeled all over the place and i was like no i can't let this be the only memory of the time right mm-hmm. and and even even like i have i want to make those videos too right where we capture all the the violence from from the police and from the the anti-protesters and the pro- yeah. you know what i'm saying like for sure the the rioters because it's all I think it's justified right at this point there's a lot of uh, 
anger. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of there's a lot of fear about the unknown. And mm-hmm. so um, putting this song together was an answer to my son. It was like, I got to make this for you. I got to make, but I also got to make this about what's going on right now. Yep. And so, yep. you know, that's why it's like easy to understand. And yet, you know, my son is, uh, he's been reading for a year now. And, you know, right. Uh, right. I, I try not to dump it down. So. so here's a quote from another one of your videos. The war economy is immoral. Amen. First to that. That's a quote that's in your video. You have a lot of people holding up that sign. The war economy is immoral. Do you think we're making a dent against the war economy? Because sometimes I feel like I'm not sure. I'm not sure if things are getting. I mean, I, I certainly am an optimist. Absolutely an optimist. I believe we will fix. We will end, you know, predatory capitalism and forever war. I believe we will. But I, I'm not feeling that optimistic this summer so tell me about your optimism (laughs) i believe that there's intersectionality right i believe that these these movements intersect in ways that are often not perceived right like imperceptible um and then at the right time like so i like the the passage of um of uh same sex of uh rights yesterday right of, uh, of lgbtq rights uh happened monday right or sunday or something um yeah that was yesterday okay yeah, yesterday yeah that was the ruling that um that they can't be fired for, can't for be, right. being openly gay or trans exactly like we need you that's that's yeah we lgbtq rights human rights and like job rights like employment uh, equal opportunity employment um because, and I can't say it's because of this, because I know that movement has been doing its thing for a long time, but there have been three weeks worth of protests in the streets, people holding space in 400 plus cities. And the weekend, this whole weekend, huge march on DC, Black Trans Lives Matter. Not just, mm-hmm. not just, not, Huge. you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like the, yeah, we had that in Brooklyn too. It was it was one of the biggest protests I've seen in Brooklyn. Yeah, um, outside the museum, that it was tons of people for Black Trans Lives Matter. I was really, I was really touched and surprised. Like, wow, that is that is progress. So the conversation has the popular conversation has shifted on on so many things that while we're talking about that and we're defunding, we're talking about defunding the police, defunding Uh, the police. Love it. So as we start taking this, as we start moving this money to different places, we start realizing that we're defunding the police because they're over-militarized, right? For sure. For sure. As people start to say, well, if the police are over-militarized, what about our, let's look at our budget as a whole. You know what I'm saying? People will... Yeah, they've, they've already started making the connections. And so it's never been a popular thing in this country to question the military. But that is I'm that's part of the conversation that we're 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 hoping we're shifting and we're moving and we're making. You see what I'm saying? Um, so like at, at World Beyond War, we're trying to um, bring up the message that if you see cops busting heads with their riot gear and their shields and their clubs and their helmets, busting heads of innocent people in American cities, what do we think they're doing in the Middle East? 
Exactly. Um, I'm part of uh, Veterans for Peace Stand Down Weekly podcast, weekly webinar. So we started cool. we started it just this past this last Wednesday on the 10th. Okay. We have our we have our next one coming up tomorrow, the 17th. Um they're going to mm-hmm. be there every Wednesday. They're about 45 minutes. Um cool. and uh we are um focus on the current trend in the military is questioning orders. The military right now, the conversation happening in the active duty military is if I get sent into my city, am I going to uh, Mm. follow these orders or am I going to disobey? And so we are we're trying to have that conversation online with folks and make people realize how popular it is, Um, because when when uh, the call was put out to stand down, then we got so many calls to the GI helpline and, uh, and veterans for peace, uh, that we had to start training members to, uh, work on the call line. So there's more people thinking about, you know, who are questioning orders than mm-hmm. people might think exactly. Yeah. than people might think so, um, that, that also proves to me that That's the, really the two conversations are connected about, yeah. Well, so I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, you know, you, you mentioned your kids. I'm, I'm curious, what do they think of your music? And also, who are your musical inspirations? My kids adore my music. They actually prefer my music over the radio, which uh, is, is a blessing. Um, and also kids that I teach. You know, I, I do I do music mentoring and um, writing mentor, writing mentorship and um my students have always appreciated my music. Um, so that's what's, that's what's kept me going in it. Um, my influences, my favorite rappers uh, as a kid and still to this day are Ice Cube and uh, Chuck D. <laughs> nice. Okay. I don't really have a top five, but it wouldn't be any of the people that other folks name. You know, I listen to Mr. He's a... Uh, a uh, hip hop artist from Kenya. He's from Uganda. Um, it's M M S T M I S T R M I S T R. Um, what keeps me going as an activist is my children. Um, and humanity, like my mom being out and uh, openly, you know, openly gay, and um, uh, just being black in America keeps me going. Down here in, in, in Mobile, I'm starting to get to know a few different networks of poets. Um, there's a bunch of poets collectives. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. So uh, I just write. I'm constantly writing. I'm, all, I'm creating. I've been creating through this, through this uh, pandemic. And I haven't stopped creating through, through, through the protests. I, they've, I've incorporated the two. And I uh, just always write, write, write. I like to write. Excellent. Cool. And I just want to take a minute to talk about a couple of things we're doing at World Beyond War. And then if you wanted to say anything that you're going to be doing soon, if you're going to be doing any performances or events or anything, we're, we are always actually, because, because these podcasts tend to get listened to, I don't want to say we're doing this in two weeks, um, but we're always doing a, a peace, a war abolition course. We have a peace education department and we're encouraging people to, um, learn about peace education as a discipline. So that's something we offer at World Beyond War. And we also run a 
bunch of great free webinars um, that you just come to our website, follow us on social media. And we're also right now focusing on global ceasefire. Um, really think it's insane that we are sanctioning Iran and Venezuela and other countries that we should be helping to get through a global pandemic with us. Instead, we're harming their medical communities and actually waging war. So um, several people, including Pope Francis, are supporting the global peace fire and World Beyond War is part of urging that. So that's what we're up to. And Miles Megasife, why don't you tell us where we can find your work and take us out? You can find my work at megasife.com. That's M-E-G-A-C-I-P-H.com. Everywhere online, I'm Megasife. It's always Megasife until you get to YouTube, then it's Miles Megasife. And um, right now I'm working on an album, uh, The Dirty South Chronicles. It's pretty much done, so I'm ready to wrap that up. And uh, The Dirty South Chronicles, as clean as we want to be. It's uh, trap beats about politics and human rights. (laughs) So great to have you here. Thank you for what you do and what you're going to continue to do. And um, thanks for being part of the World Beyond War podcast. I'll see you later, Miles. All right, peace. Let's see. Check. Got the little backdrop. Trying to do my little setup. You know what I'm saying? The fires of revolution constantly turning. Energy unyielding, continually returning. Embers of flags burning. Orange in the fields. Carrots and butternuts helping us hail. Hopping up off your hills. The path is glorious. Gotta move, you gotta go, but not to war with us. Laziness and lethargy, recipes that make us pale. Caracaras, tangerines of they seal. Reveal fictions, stories we all tell ourselves. It could be better, pull the film back, but oh well, go tell them. This is what makes me happy, just rapping. I can make my wife slap me. What happened? My actions after me. Actually, it's good karma, now you have to see. My life be moving like Mercury, I'm off the scales. Plus, it's weakness and self-doubt, I often kill. This is substance, no filler. This juice with the pulp. Given that frozen Julius, now watch how I scope. A bunch of mandarin orangutans commanding a cult. To think you get this in one gulp? Such an insult. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.